0: This can be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go, A little light man, here. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 103.7 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. We're, we're, we're finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Oh. Yeah better get ready yeah, no! yeah, no! because under the dome with cd starts right now on 1037 the game and
1: welcome everybody to another edition of under the dome with cd with yours truly with you on a beautiful nice and chilly football weather feeling kind of saturday morning and hopefully you're in that same kind of mindset right about now that i'm in because it's saturday And it's time to kind of just enjoy the weather that we got right now. Because let's be honest, it could get a lot colder. And I think, honestly, I can never complain about it being too cold. Especially when we deal with those hot summer months unlike any other. But appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so. And, of course, we're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios.
0: Baby, we're looking good.
1: We certainly are looking good. You can listen to us a lot of different ways. You can listen to us through the free 103.7 The Game mobile app, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, smart speakers. Just tell them to play 103.7 The Game. And also, you can check us out, obviously, on the FM. Dial that tower of power that is 103.7 The Game.
0: The tower of power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place.
1: Oh yeah. We got that going on. Also, we got you on, you know, all kinds of great stuff over the course of the next two hours. We got tons to get to. And
2: we got a lot to cover. There's good news and bad news. The bad news is we're not going to get to it all right here, right now. But the good news is,
1: is I got the time. We got the time, and we got the time for you. It's a lot like last week, only one guest. He's obviously, I mean, Cajuns playing Liberty in a few hours' time. Kind of hard to get somebody to come on and talk about that matchup. But we got Ross Jackson he will be joining the program at 11.30 talking to New Orleans Saints. Can the team avoid a third straight L? We'll talk about that and so much more with our guy at 11.30. But in that meantime and in between time, if you want to get in that conversation, you just got to press a few numbers. 337-706-0111. Just go ahead and dial those numbers up if you want to get your shots up on a Louisiana Saturday morning. And I'm going to go ahead and open it up with... What I do each and every Saturday, and let's get down to brass tacks of what's causing all this. And that is your Saturday Sports Sermon.
0: The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Oh, Testista! It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon.
1: And what's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning is the LSU job. And I've been thinking about it, scratching my head at it the last few weeks because the coaching search is clearly kind of hitting some snacks. And we're getting that much closer to National Signing Day. And getting somebody there by that time, prior to that date, is paramount. A lot of reasons. Most of the guys are committing then versus in part du. You need to get these guys to commit then and there, and you need to have somebody in-house. If you don't have somebody in-house by then, I guarantee you it'd be a lot like free agency, and some colleges will be snatching them up. I think guys like Walker Howard, they are steadfast in their commitment. But I think there's some that might be questioning their commitment to LSU right now, because there's still no sign of a head coach being hired at this time. And you look at it, we got to start with the expected guy, Mel Tucker. He's reportedly one Herbie Hancock away from a contract extension to stay at East Lansing getting paid $100 million, reportedly. Now, if it happens, you know, if that happens, and that's one guy that I felt like was the easy guy to kind of land, but he's apparently not going anywhere. Lincoln Riley, pie-in-the-sky-type dream getting him from Oklahoma. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then Jimbo Fisher, I don't think he's leaving A&M for LSU because the expectations are way higher in Baton Rouge than in College Station. So I had to ask myself, is the LSU job actually as sexy or as sought after as it has been in the past and now it's been bandied about as being one of those premier jobs head coaches across the country want to have? And I really sat down and thought about all of this. And I came to a decision. I came to a statement. Any other year, you'd say it's a top three job in all of college football. You'd have several coaches want to take that first flight out to BTR or Louis Armstrong Airport. I know Lane Kiffin took a picture while at BTR. Last night to go watch some high school football in the state of Louisiana. Maybe look at some commits. Namely, I think Arch Manning was one of them. But they'd want to take this job. That said, this is the worst year for a football program by the name of LSU since the last year of Jerry DiNardo in 99. Seriously, the record right now doesn't bode well. At best, you have a chance of going 6-6, 5-7. Last time you were below 500 in a regular season and a full regular season at that, because last year I'm not necessarily counting 5-5, but last time you did that was at the end of the Jerry DiNardo era, and that led to Nick Saban. The big difference with this team and Jerry DiNardo is the fact this team had all the potential in the world, injuries to star players, and an offense that's felt pedestrian compared to what we saw back in 2019, two years ago, when Joe Burrow was leading the way. Team can't run the ball. You've got good targets in Keyshawn Butte and Jack Besh, but with Butte injured, Besh has kind of had to carry some of the load, and that's going to make life a lot more difficult if you just are kind of hamstrung with what you got. You don't have Stingley in that secondary. He won't be back. He's going to go to the NFL and be a first-round draft pick unless something happens behind the scenes. That's something that's going on. But I think that's not even the biggest reason why a head coach doesn't want the LSU job from my point of view. It feels like, keyword feels, like the biggest reason why is because of that Title IX investigation. Because, again, a good recruiting class can kind of cure a lot of those ills of not ha- of not having a whole lot of depth. Having a good recruiting class in 2022, and they're, they're poised to have one, 2023 could be even better. Because you'll be able to have plenty of time to commit, think of these guys, to commit to your program culture or whatever you're going to be bringing to the table. But this Title IX investigation still looms large. And I think it's something that a lot of coaches are wondering is it worth that? Like, is it worth dealing with that headache behind the scenes? And it just blows my mind that we're seeing this. And because you think about it, LSU, back in the last time they were considering a new head coach, were trying to get Jimbo Fisher to come over. Jimbo Fisher was pretty much a few years removed, a couple years removed from a national championship with Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, think about that. He had a national championship run with Florida State. A couple of years later, he gets a call to come back home to Baton Rouge. There was a lot of things going on that caused him not to go over there. Apparently, the president of the of the university, the governor, all that stuff. Might have something to do with it. But it makes me wonder what's holding this up. Now, I know, you know, Scott Woodward could very well have have his guy in place right now. And he is keeping this thing very close to the vest. The day after LSU plays Texas A&M, that Monday morning, he could have an announcement and make a press conference that Friday. I don't know. We're gonna have to wait and see what's gonna go down. But that's a lot of questions that we are going to have to have, and it just makes you wonder. Does a big-name head coach like LSU has wanted, like Scott Woodward has been able to get, do they want to come over here and they want stability? And based on the allegations that have been levied, I don't think a coach would want to take some of that risk. And when you think of some of the big names in college football that are being brought up, like a Lincoln Riley, like a Jimbo Fisher, like a Mel Tucker, who reportedly signed a con- is signing a contract extension very soon. But Jimbo, he's secure in his spot because he's... Made things better at AM than they ever have been. That's saying something. Dave Randa, he's building something pretty special and has a shot at some really big things in the future, especially once kind of realignment happens. And I think Baylor is going to be a team to kind of look at in the future as one of those top dogs once we see Oklahoma and Texas go over to the SEC. Lincoln Riley, it just seems to me, I could be completely off base here, somebody from here. In Lafayette, Louisiana versus Norman, Oklahoma. But I think he's a sooner for life. Unless some really, really abhorrent stuff comes out in the future. I think he sticks around. Mel Tucker accepts that deal. He ain't going anywhere. So now you're going to have to go down to the other 23 letters. Or 22 letters, I would say. When you look at Dave Miranda as a guy that everybody's kind of mentioning. And some of those names that we're hearing about. That next head coach has to realize the expectations are going to be even higher because of the fact that the last three head coaches, we, we can say all we want about Ed Ozron scoreboard. He has a national championship. Not a whole lot of coaches can actually say that. With all, It's it's impressive to see what LSU has been able to do under Ed Ozron It's been impressive because they've won a national championship. The last three head coaches, Saban, Miles, and O. So they're expecting to be like Wendy's in four for four. And if we see guys who were reportedly Mark Stoops, Bill O'Brien as two names that are popping up, doesn't necessarily sound all that great compared to some of those other names that have been banded about, like the Lincoln Rileys of the world. It feels like you are, comparatively speaking, of course, you're going bargain bin diving for some DVDs on Black Friday at Walmart versus going ahead and getting the best streaming service on the planet or something like that. There's something that you are missing if you go ahead and go get a Bill O'Brien in my mind. Mark Stoops, he's done good, but not good enough to make LSU fans pull for him. It's uh, If you don't get somebody of a really solid name, I think the fan base isn't going to be too happy because Their expectations, because of what you've done the last two times in the hiring of a new head coach at LSU, was A, you hired Kim Mulkey, without a doubt one of the most notable head coaches in women's basketball. Number two, you hired Jay Johnson, who looks to be building a really good dynasty over at LSU with everything that he has in place. This is his third head coaching hire in just about a year. I mentioned a while back, like pretty much outside of Will Wade and Bet Arena, that program is completely overhauled. And it's incredible to see how much it's changed and how much the vibe has changed. Now, we've got to talk about that. we got to talk about what's going to happen next and who is going to be that guy. Billy Napier could be, but I feel like that's highly unlikely. So if it's either Bill O'Brien or Mark Stoops in terms of what's left, because, again, I'm eliminating Jimbo Fisher and Lincoln Riley and Lane Kiffin, too, because Lane Kiffin ain't going to be jumping around. Like, he if he if he jumps around, I don't want him at LSU. I wouldn't want him at LSU because he jumps around. But that's just my viewpoint. We got somebody who's been waiting patiently. I'd assume patiently. Maybe they hung up. But on the 103.7, the game hotline, they've been waiting patiently. And we go over there. Hello, you're on, under the dome. TD, what's up, my man? T, what is going on, my brother? Not a whole lot,
3: man. <clears throat> uh, beautiful weather for sure. Oh,
1: you're damn right. Football uh, weather, understatement.
3: Oh, you, you got that right. Uh, I agree with you pretty much, uh, you know, because of the Title IX stuff. And, and But, I mean, I still think LSU is a top five, you know, job in the country, if you ask me, and so here, that, that's what brings me to my question. You said, you know, some, and I heard professor say the same thing, that maybe some coaches don't want to It They don't find the job too sexy or whatever. So I've heard that Billy Napier really, really, really wants the job. So why would he want to go to LSU?
1: That's my question. I think he would want to go to LSU because, again... Uh, we've talked about this before T is you look at what I I mean, again, I don't know Billy Napier personally. I don't talk to him off the record, but based off of observations of what I've known about him, he probably wants to take over Nick Saban's job whenever he retires, whenever that time does come. And I think he's one of those guys that has a golden opportunity to do so. And let's be honest, T can you go from UL to Alabama? Uh, let's let's be honest let's have that honest discussion do, do you ever see that happening if he stays at the louisiana raging cajuns until Saban retires can he make that jump without people without alabama throwing throwing their hands up in the air and being absolutely upset as all get out hiring a guy from a group of 5 program
3: no i agree totally i agree totally he, he he'd have to take a a, a stepping stone job either that
1: sense, either you know? either that Or, and I've talked about somebody about this theory, and I want to just throw it out there right now. What if Billy Napier never becomes another head coach at a program besides the Cajuns, but a few years before Saban retires, basically Saban kind of gives him a nudge, hey, come be an assistant coach with me for a couple years, and then you become the heir apparent. And in a few years' time, whenever I do retire, I take the job. That's the only way he would, and it'd be almost an indirect jump. To go from the Cajuns to Alabama, and then you become the head coach whenever Saban decides to retire. Which honestly, I don't think is going to happen for a long time.
3: Yeah, I agree with you, uh, Terry, totally. But I still think it's uh, Dabo's job to lose.
1: Wait, you think Dabo's going to jump, from, take over, go from Clemson, where you've pretty much got it made in the shade, if you're Clemson?
3: Oh yeah, like oh no, if if he gets the shot at Alabama, he's gone.
1: Okay. Okay, I, I was confused. I thought you were saying the job at LSU. Okay, now now I got you. No,
3: no, 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 Dabo to to Alabama. I think it's his job to lose. Uh, I think uh, Alabama would take Dabo before uh, Coach
1: Napier. No, I, I'm with you, but I mean, again, it's all is if Saban has his druthers. Let's be honest. Like if Saban pretty much could run for governor tomorrow and win, right? Right. So I, I think there's a. I think he's gonna have very much a strong say. A lot like when we hear like certain coaches, like Skip Burtman. Skip Burtman had a lot to say about who was gonna take over after him as the head coach on the baseball front. I guarantee you, Saban's gonna have his pull. And if he doesn't want Dabo, Dabo's not gonna be the ne- next head coach in my mind.
3: Agree. Agree. Well, look, CD. Have a great day, man. All
1: right, right, T, take it easy, man. Long time no talk from that man, and great to hear from him. And if you want to call up, 337-706-0111. We're well past due for a break. i get some high school football talk. Round two in the books, and there's not too many teams left. I believe it's a total of 11 teams left amongst select and non-select teams in the Acadiana area. We'll talk about that next right here on 1037 the Game and 1037thegame.com.
0: From the preps to the pros and everywhere in between. I gave it a, uh, a
1: 10, a 10.
0: Let's get back under the dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 the Game.
1: And, yes, welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. And hearing that rejoin reminded me of the fact that I was talking with TV's Dylan the other day off air, and we were saying I was talking about how, like, Varsity Blues, how great of a movie it is, and he had never seen it. And I played the clip where it, uh, Billy Bob says, I give it a tan, a tan, a tan. I can't say the other word in, in the middle of that because then I'd be in hot water, if you will. But that got me thinking. I was like, okay, you know, every time I play that rejoin, he just never like came to that realization that's what it was. It always just kind of makes me laugh. People don't necessarily realize that's where that's from. But, of course, welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. A little bit of just a preamble before we get into high school football talk. Seven teams left in the Acadiana area in a non-select, and we've got three left in the select the select divisions, or the di- yeah, the divisions. Almost the districts. No, it's the divisions. Clint, get it together. But anyways, let's go ahead and get into what happened last night in high school football in the Acadia area. Maybe also look at some of those matchups across the state that kind of got me intrigued right now. It's gonna be a tough game. Highlander. They're gonna be only one. Acadiana area team left in Class 5A, and that is the Acadiana High Reckon Rams who took it to St. Amant, 56-23 to 23 victors. They move on to the quarters. They'll be taking on Parkway and Captain – Parkway, who beat Captain Shreve 30-23. to 23. So it'll be Acadiana, Parkway next week. Speaking of next Friday in Class 5A, Zachary beat uh, East Ascension 24-21. And they'll be taking on West Monroe, who went through Chalmette like a buzzsaw. 49-7, your final there. You also had a really big blowout. Ponchatoula beating down John Arrett, 50-7. to 50-7, to my goodness. Look at a Class 4A. You had five teams left in that that were Acadian area teams, and it was not a great Friday night for those programs. Edna Carr taking on Eunice, and Eunice just got dismantled 53-7 loss to Edna Carr. Their season's over. You had Westgate taking on the Wampus Cats at Leesville and Westgate ekes out a 16-7 win over the Wampus Cats. One of my favorite names in all of high school football. Blue Gators a close second. 16-7 win for Westgate. The Tigers keep rolling. They've had a hell of a season. So Big shout out to them. Northwood Shreveport They'll be taking on Westgate. They won 19-9 last night over North DeSoto. Then you have Cecilia. They beat Lakeshore in double overtime, 44-37. And then Carrickrow lost last night in a heartbreaker. 19-15, your final score there. So Cecilia is going to be taking on Neville. And the other Acadian area team was Warren Easton, Opelousas, and Opelousas Tigers lost a tough one on the St. Landry Parish game of the week with a 67 to six loss. Looking at so basically, you have Westgate and Cecilia representing Class 4A. They remain in the quarterfinals. And they say all the time, if you're practicing during Thanksgiving week, you're doing a pretty damn good job, and you have had a good season. Class 3A action: Church Point taking on Donaldsonville, and Church Point wins 35 to nothing. Impressive as all get-out. West Feliciana, they beat Iowa 35-28. So it'll be West Feliciana taking on the undefeated Church Point Bears. Another matchup to look at in the quarterfinal. Sterlington will be taking on Madison Prep. Sterlington beat Westlake by the score of 51-27. And Madison Prep beat St. James on Thursday night by the score of 33-10. St. Martinville beats Iota 62-28. And they'll be taking on... Lutcher, who beat Bogalusa 54-28. Abbeville came away with a hard-fought win. Got a little scary in the fourth quarter, but they were able to hold off Wassman and advance with a 28-20 win. They'll be taking on Union Parish, a team that is always going to be a power in Class 3A. They beat Gina 22-0. Then you have, again, you have three teams left in that classification church point st martinville and abbeville meanwhile there's only one again highlander only one left in class to a general trash general trash excuse me they beat welsh 40 to 20 amy beat kinder 35 to 20 but franklin pulls off a big upset over lauraville 16 to 14 so it'll be franklin taking on Jonesboro hodge who beat Mangum last night, 28-18. Definitely a fun ball game from all that I've heard. So Franklin, the only one left. Class 1A doesn't have any Acadiana area teams left in the mix. Then you get to select round two, the quarterfinals. Underway last night, St. Thomas Moore beat Liberty Magnet like a drum, 63-35. They handle their business, Walker Howard, he just continues to get better. It makes you wonder if he's an X-Men. They won 63-35. They'll be taking on E.D. White in the semifinals, looking to make it to Cajun Field on December 11th for the state championship. And if they win, they'll be taking on the winner of Vanderbilt Catholic, who beat Loyola Prep 31-24. Then you have University Lab and De La Salle, U- High won 29-7. So it's Vanderbilt Catholic and U-High on the other side of the bracket. Lafayette Christian Academy beat Ascension Episcopal, the one and only Blue Gators, lost 33-10, so the night train keeps a-rolling, and we're gearing up for another big contest. Is they'll be taking on the Greenies of Isidore Newman. Arch Manning and crew going to be making the trek to that field, night Field, over in Lafayette, Louisiana. So trust me, we'll get to that game in a few. But Newman beat Episcopal Baton Rouge 37-6. St. Charles Catholic, they won 27-0. And now they'll be taking on the Notre Dame of Acadia Parish Pios. Louis Cook and Crew looking to make it back to state when they take on St. Thomas Aquinas. Excuse me, when they take on St. Charles, they beat St. Thomas Aquinas 42-7. And then you only had two Acadian area Your teams left Division IV, and both of them got eliminated. Sacred Heart Ville-Platt lost to Calvary Baptist 63-7. St. Frederick's beat Vermilion Catholic 31-7, and the score may look like it was lopsided. You should have heard it live. It looked like everything was going in the favor of St. Fred's in that one. So it's just interesting to see how it all kind of panned out. Obviously, there's a lot of takeaways I had from this past like Friday night in football. St. Thomas more it's impressive because they have gone through a ton of stuff. You have this really tough start to the season. You lose Walker Howard, but Walker Howard somehow, some way, bounces back from an injury that most people probably would have ended their season. He gets back, and he looks absolutely elite in leading this team to the state semifinals where it's pretty much been almost a birthright for them. But this go-round, they're going to be Road Warriors taking on Edie White before trying to get to Cajun Field on December 11th. Edie White is going to present an enviable task, a formidable one, I would say so. Karen Crow, they fought hard against Neville. This is a team that deserves a round of applause in my book, and this isn't coming from Homer Radio, a guy that went there. That team fought hard against Neville team, despite all the odds were against them. They had players opt out, your starting quarterback gets injured about the second half of the season. They turned it around and were able to hang with Neville. That's something to hang your hat on, Jack, because you've played Neville damn near every single year, and this was a big game for this team at home, and they held on for dear life but lost 19-15 to 15, tough loss for the Golden Bears. Their season comes to an end a year after winning a state championship. Franklin pulls off a decent upset against the Lowerville getting a low-scoring contest. Was kind of surprised to see that one. Abbeville, they had a heck of a scare with a botched punt resulting in a Waspman touchdown. Two-point conversion attempt, no good. Abbeville was able to hold on and advance in the next round. This has been a legendary season for this team, and I can't wait to hear what happens next week on the Vermilion Parish Game of the Week, which you can hear on 106.3 Radio Lafayette. Meanwhile, you got to think, Nightfield... Maybe the second hottest ticket in town only to Morgan Wallen at the Cajun Dome is the Division II semifinal matchup. You have Arch Manning and crew. Arch Manning. That alone could sell tickets to the C- to Cajun Field. If it wasn't for the fact that the next afternoon you had Cajun's ULM, I think this would have to be a Cajun Field because there's too many people that would want to get in on this than probably their stadium on Portland Avenue could handle see the Knights and Greenies square off at a stones throw away, a couple of football throws away from the first South Farm Credit Studios over there. So, I, again, I am looking forward to the third round of the playoffs for select, or excuse me, for non-select, semifinals for select are going to be a lot of fun. And we'll have it all for you right here on 1037 The Game with the football night in Katie and a pregame show starting at 6. STM football, 6.30, Danny Jones, The coach, Sam Heinen, and also the family, Gossin, going to be taking care of business on that end on Friday. And then on 106.3, you'll have the Vermilion Parish game of the week, which means your boy is going to be here once again on a Friday night, leading you into the rest of your Friday night with the football night in Acadia and a post-game show. That's how we roll here. I don't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Eh, 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 We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. You're listening to Under the Dome with yours truly, CD. We'll talk some LSU football again. Not as much about the coaching search, but if you want to talk about the coaching search, 337-706-0111. I'm more talking about the time of this game tonight because I am not a fan. I'm sure most of you aren't as well. We'll talk about that next right here on 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com.
0: After all your problems during the week, It's finally the weekend. Woo! Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 the game. 1037thegame.com. 337 706 0111. 337 706 0111. I'm out here just enjoying myself inside the first South Farm Credit Studios. Hopefully, you're enjoying yourself. Maybe you're making your way over to Baton Rouge. Maybe because of the fact that the LSU ULM game is until 8 o'clock tonight. Maybe you aren't going to be out there freezing. You took us off. And I I said this to Ray and he doesn't necessarily believe me. And I'm like, I'd probably put the over under at 30,000 fans tonight. Because let's be honest, there's so much going against this team to where I don't think it's going to be even a half full stadium tonight. Number one, you're playing at 8 a.m. 8 p.m. Excuse me, not 8 a.m. There's no such thing as 8 a.m. Games. But you're. Starting a game at 8 p.m. on a Saturday night, whenever it's, I'd say definitely a little bit colder out than normal. I know that's not going to deter anybody in particular because if you have tickets, season tickets and you want to go, you're going to go no matter what the weather looks like. But let's be honest, if you have an opportunity to go to an LSU game, you want to see an LSU team play hard, and win against a big-name opponent. I don't think that you are going to go out there to go watch LSU beat ULM on any year. But a year like this, whenever everybody's kind of you know given up and are just ready to move on to next season and try and figure out what's going to happen next with the head coach and determine where things go from here, ADM kickoff is absolutely brutal for this game. And, again, this is the week where it is very much lame duck city across the SEC. I'm serious. Like, there's no really good matchups out there. You got Prairie View taking on A&M, Mississippi State taking on Tennessee State, New Mexico State taking on Kentucky, Charleston Southern, and Georgia. That's a bad, bad look. If you're the SEC, the slate of games this week is absolutely horrible. I was blown away to see how much like bad it is. The only good game, relatively speaking, is Alabama-Arkansas. I'll talk about that game in the next segment because that's on my list of five games that you need to kind of take a look at and maybe consider throwing down some ducats on. Florida-Mizzou should be interesting because Florida is an absolute mess. They allowed like 50 against Sanford last week. Dan Mullen maybe want to get on the first plane out of Florida. And I think, again, that's a job that's going to be interesting to see what happens there if Mullen is indeed fired. i top talk about Napier. If Florida comes a-calling and they back up the brakes truck, I think he might be answering that call. Auburn, South Carolina. Auburn's a little bit of a weird team. South Carolina's kind of strange, too. First year with Shane Beamer as head coach. He's done a decent job, not necessarily a great job. Old Miss, Vandy, do do I need to say any more? South Al, Tennessee, yuck city all the way around. Again, the only intriguing game in the SEC this week is Arkansas, uh, Alabama. And that's more interesting because Alabama has been incredibly suspect this year. They almost lost to LSU. Any other year, they're probably like, "Oh, hey, well, that's typical because LSU always plays up to them." This was an LSU team that probably is amongst the worst in program history, just in terms of general metrics. Their win loss record—it's one of the worst they've had in twenty, in over twenty years. Seriously, nineteen ninety nine was the last time LSU was below five hundred, and they almost lost to that team. And again, they're not below five hundred to end the season. But it's looking pretty darn likely, especially with the fact they're playing A&M next week. This isn't, you know, your slightly older brother's A&M where it was almost a birthright to beat A&M. This is a lot tougher. I understand it's at Tiger Stadium and people are going to be, like, damn near ravenous and bloodthirsty for a win. For a lot of different reasons. I'm not discounting that. There's a lot of reasons why. But... Do you, like, LSU fan, LSU average fan, if you have a ticket, are you going to, I mean, if you have a ticket, you're probably going to go, but those out there that may not have a ticket but know somebody who does, like, if you just had, had like, the wild hair, would you go to LSU ULM knowing how bad of a game it could be and how much this season is largely just, like. Eh. it's probably the, for the first time ever, it's just there's so much apathy. Seriously, apathy for this program. It's amazing. Yes, two years ago, interest was at an all-time high. This team was undefeated and won a national championship. But within two years, I've complained about this. Within two years, you've gone from being in the penthouse to the outhouse. And I talked about it earlier, the... Sexiness of the LSU job—I don't think it's as, it's there as much as people think. I still think it's probably a top ten job, no doubt. T said a top five. I'm not necessarily sure if there is a job that's truly sexy to get people to like leave their current gig to go over somewhere else, because it feels like everybody's wanting to kind of stay in pack because you don't know what's going to be happening right now. You have an entire situation with expansion is, again, I don't think Lincoln Riley's going anywhere. You, you're, you're trying to keep everybody, and that's why we're seeing the, the cost of coaches' salaries going way up and maybe in some cases overpaying. I think Mel Tucker, if those reports are true, a $100 million contract, I feel like it's a little bit too much for a guy that has had one really, really good year. $95 million contract reportedly. Think about that for Mel Tucker, a guy that's only been a head coach for four seasons. He was in interim in 2011 for the Jacksonville Jaguars, but that's really not saying much. You can't really take away anything from that. But just in terms of college, he's been coaching for four years. And this is his first season where he's above 500. Even if you strike the record, yeah, excuse me, yeah, his third season, excuse me, in 2019 they were 5 and 7 at Colorado. Michigan State he was 2 and 5 last year in that COVID year. Then he manages to like churn this program around and they look like the 2014 Michigan State program. That's how good they've been. 9 and 1. They had a really tough loss to Purdue. We're absolutely poised to do some very good things. And I was hoping they did. Because why not have somebody that's not a blue blood involved in the conversation? They ranked seventh in the CFP. And it's justifiable because that loss that loss to Purdue still looms large, but this is a team again reminds me a lot of those early CFP teams from about six, seven years ago. Like seriously, twenty fourteen with Mark D'Antonio in his eighth year was eight was eleven and two. Eleven and two. And it makes you wonder what happened so like to cause this thing to kind of go off the rails so quickly with Mark D'Antonio, within a few years, this team became like irrelevant. And the next year they were still in contention for a college football playoff spot, but did but didn't get in. And then the next year they're three and nine, and then things go off the rails in 2016. I want like if I'm Michigan State, I'm kind of like taking a second to be like, all right. He's doing really good so far, but let's hold off on giving him the big contract. I know we want to keep him around, but let's hold off on giving him the big deal, giving him that massive contract to keep him around because that is going to be easier said than done, at least from my point of view. Could be completely off base here, but that's kind of where I'm at with Mel Tucker. He seems like a good head coach but paying him that much money based off of one really good year it's a little dangerous. If though again, that's if those reports are indeed true. LSU on the other hand, they've got to make a decision, to make it fast because if they get to a certain point leading into national signing day and they still don't have a head coach, it's not going to be a good look for your program. And I'm trusting Scott Wilward to make the right decision and get the right guy and get the right fit for this program because now you got to go back. And you got to make sure that you get somebody that is a lot less rah-rah and, that's, dare I say, goofy. Like, Because you go look at Les Miles, he was goofy. He was goofy as all get out. Now, obviously, some stuff happened by, like that came out years later that definitely – paints him in a very different light. But the Les Miles personality that we saw was 100% a goofball. And you have Coach O, who just basically was a walking, talking meme amongst the college football world. You got to have somebody that's going to be tightening up this culture. You have somebody that's going to be willing to just go in full-blown John Taffer. Not, yeah, and pretty much go a full bar rescue and save this program from itself because I think that's the biggest thing that's holding them back. It's there's potential, tons of potential for this team to grow. They have to find that right guy. That's the opposite of Cocho and Les Miles. You got to find somebody that is going to. Seriously flip the script and overhaul this program. But tonight, LSU is going to be playing ULM. And I'm seriously thinking that LSU wins and wins handily. But the if is still lingering in my mind. And if LSU somehow loses this game to ULM, yes, Tommy Bowden's got this program looking better. But I think there's no hyperbole when I say this. LSU losing to ULM in the penultimate game of the Ed O's era would be the worst possible thing to happen to the LSU football program. The worst loss in the history of the program. And I got a conversation with a guy, James, off about this. And he said it probably would be the Troy loss. I'm like, the Troy loss wasn't the worst. Because Troy was a really good team that year. And also... That was the turning point of Ellis of Ed O'Draw's career. He took that loss, used his motivation, turned that program around within two years and won a national championship. That was a motivating, that was a turning point game. This is a, if they lose, it is 100% going to be the worst loss in program history and nobody can tell me otherwise. Fans will be out there at 8 o'clock for a kickoff and if. LSU loses or at least trails at one point or another. I think there's going to people aren't going to be happy Even if it's a close game, especially because again they they beat McNeese, but they should have beaten them like a drum. It felt like the dogs were called off way too early. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a game that's somewhat similar to that. I'm interested to see how things are going to go next week, though, with AM. Because all all the rumor in your window is about Jimbo now. And it feels like take three with him. I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think we see a swerve where right after the game, Scott Woodward's on a phone call with Jimbo right after his press conference wraps up to be like, hey, stay in Baton Rouge. We need to talk. And he basically takes the job the next day. I just don't think that's going to happen. If it does, it's very much I'm a Baltimore Colts-esque. going to go ahead and... I'll move everybody in a cargo truck across the across state lines from Texas to Louisiana overnight. You know he's the next head coach at Edema LSU and A and kind of left high and dry. I just don't think that's going to happen. We're gonna go ahead and take a quick timeout. Got five picks to click for this weekend in college and pro football. We'll get to that next right here on one zero three seven the game and one zero three seven the game dot com. Welcome back real quick kind of express lane edition of uh, the five favorite picks to click for this football weekend. And we're going to go ahead and start off obviously with some college stuff last week, one of five, absolutely anemic last week. Let's see if we can make this right. I think Arkansas covers against Alabama. Definitely going to be a fun ball game, but I think we see, this Ellis, this Arkansas team cover, because they've been pretty doggone good this season. Cajuns, I got to get straight up over Liberty. Four and a half point dogs. I just absolutely have to take this one. It's tough for me to go home radio with this, and I'll probably live to regret it, but I think that I've got the Cajuns being like Bo Derrick and getting 10 straight wins and head into UO Monroe with a load of momentum. Then I've got UAB, UTSA. Take the over in this one. Feels easy money. Upset is in the offing, though, because Southern Miss did almost beat UTSA last week. And UAB is a much better team than them. Chicago, I got them covering against Baltimore, plus six. The Ravens are a little suspect, and I feel like if Matt Nagy wasn't coaching, this team would probably be a straight-up win. I got Cincy straight-up, speaking of which, against Vegas it's virtually a pick a minus minus one-point spread, and the and the Bengals are favorites, but I think I got to go with the Road Dogs pulling out the big dub. Oh, you didn't know? And thank you so much. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll be back with more Under the Dome with CD Hour 2 of 2
0: after this. This can be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go on A little life man, here. This is Acadiana's number 1 sports station, 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. We're, we're finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than desperate housewives. Are you, ready? you better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 1037
1: The Game. And welcome everyone. Hour two of two officially underway. And I got to say, I'm loving it being here with you. As always, from the beautiful Palatial First South Farm Credit Studios.
0: Here this is worldwide
1: and you definitely can hear this bad boy worldwide on 1037 gamecom the free mobile app your favorite smart speakers amazon alexa google home and i think also you can check us out on the fm dial that is the tower of power one zero three seven. The game.
0: He has the tower power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal. The man.
1: Again, hopefully you're enjoying yourself on this beautiful football weather. Feeling Saturday morning, almost afternoon, getting to be damn near lunchtime. Maybe you're out there making your way. Again, hopefully you're making your way to the. Tiger Stadium later today. Hopefully you're going to enjoy a great college football atmosphere on a Saturday night. The penultimate game of the Ed Ozeron era. I I, I said earlier, I feel like over-under needs to be set at 30,000 fans in terms of just the realistic, because obviously they're going to go by season, tis, season tickets with the announced attendance. I want to see what it looks like right before kickoff. And obviously that number is going to basically kind of determine how things go. In terms of just, again, this is just the way I think about it. Because I'm almost certain a lot of fans will probably say, okay, we're going to go ahead and enjoy this. And once it becomes clear, it's a one-sided ball game. Let's say at halftime, I think the fans do indeed leave because it's going to be an absolute, like, one-sided battle between LSU and ULM today. I, I would never bet on those kind of games because, again, you never know how the spread is going to get covered in that one. is a lot better team than they were a few years ago. And I think it's mainly because they've been able to get some really interesting wins and fluke wins, but I wouldn't be surprised if... ULM at least keeps it a little bit more competitive. I hope they do because it just makes things a lot more interesting and there's a lot more to talk about when it's good, when it's really good. That said, I think we need to talk about the team that's doing really good. We'll have Ross Jackson on at 1130 to talk about a team that's doing not so good. Halvin Kamara out again tomorrow against the Philadelphia Eagles. I am seriously dreading that one tomorrow. But we'll talk to him about that contest and more at 1130. But in the meantime, I think we need to talk about the one team in the state of Louisiana that's living up to expectations and making us feel good. And that's the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. I said it earlier, I think they get to 10 wins against Liberty later today. But I'm starting to think, and I said it earlier about Billy Napier possibly taking over the Florida job. It's all about what happens with Florida's future with Dan Mullen. I think Dan Mullen will stick around. But then you start thinking about the, all these other questions in your head if you're the head coach of the, Tiger, or head coach of the Tigers or the leg director across the country, Scott Woodward or otherwise. You are going to start thinking Billy Napier is a guy that's in that as Mike Detillier said on RV3 and Company yesterday, basically said it's that GHI list. It's, you've got your ABC, it's your Mel Tucker's, Jimbo Fisher, Lincoln Riley, that's your ABC. I think DEF is probably going to be the following. It's probably Billy Napier is the F or the G in in the plans that Scott Woodward has in place. He has Mark Stoops, Bill O'Brien are two names that are being bandied about. I think they're probably playing D and E, which honestly I'd probably put them as Y and Z, not D and E, just my opinion. He has Mark Stoops. Yes, he's done a good job building up that program, but I just don't know if he's going to be like what fans want. It's It's a drop down from those expectations. And again, you got to sometimes temper those expectations about what you want in terms of a head coach. People wanted Tom Herman, they didn't get him. They wound up getting at Odrong o- and Odr and Like despite the fact that the last two years have sucked, LSU has gotten a national championship with him, and he is, I, impressively enough. I was blown away by this. I like looking at his coaching record. He hasn't necessarily had like a phenomenal career. He's had like incredible highs. But some like incredible lows too. But he's 49 and 20, 30 and 17 in the SEC. That's impressive to see what he's done just at LSU alone in a five year span, six seasons, 2016 to 2021. You got two more games left, but he's guaranteed to have a well above 500 record at LSU. It's better than what he did. Adol Miss 10 and 25 after he had a little bit of a short run there for a few years. Then he had that interim year when he wasn't brought back on as the head coach of the Trojans after leading to a six and two record. He did the same thing the next year. And got that team back up into relevancy. Because LSU just didn't feel like the LSU of old, whenever Les Miles was running things and Les Miles was getting this team consistently towards the top. No, that it felt like to a certain extent by that point, it was the LSU team that was always landing in the Outback Bowl. And the Outback Bowl is nobody's goal, especially LSU's. I've said it before. The goal for LSU every year, at least according to the fan base, based off what I know, it's making it to the SEC championship game and beating Bama. That's the expectations every year. And I feel like every three years, the expectation is, depending how the recruiting classes have gone and how these things have panned out, case in point, Derek Stingley Jr., Jamar Chase, and Justin Jefferson, you get big names to come over and they pan out? Because there's been guys that come over like a Cardale Thomas. He's a five-star commit coming out of high school, and we haven't seen much of them, hardly at all. So there's those those five-star guys that don't pan out. But then there's guys like Walker Howard that are going to be coming through the pipeline. They've got things going on. But that's kind of how LSU is. The Cages, on the other hand, for years, they were very much like a the lovable underdog type team, the team that you pull for and hope they win. Now, they are no longer the underdog. They've become the hunted, not the hunter. They've still got one step to kind of make it to being the hunted because, after all, you have to win the whole darn thing, and they are one step closer to doing that. Now they're hosting it, and they're nine wins, nine straight wins, most in program history. The billionaire era is so amazing to think about. How much things have grown with this program. And now they are, uh, by all metrics, I think the best team in Louisiana right now. And I'm counting New Orleans. Because New Orleans, yes, they've got a good record. But it just feels like the bottom is starting to fall out on that team. It's starting to feel like playoffs are very much like Jim Morris' senior playoffs. But that's a different conversation. We got some money on the hotline right now, so let's go ahead and get to them, and I'll give some more thoughts on the Cajuns right now on the hotline. Hello, you're on Under the Dome.
4: Hey, CG, this
1: is Doug. Hey, Doug, what's good?
4: Hey, man, what's happening? Listen, I mean, you made some good points, uh, all valid points uh, about the LSU. Um, uh, I believe if uh, Coach Riley or Randa. Don't come to LSU. Could very well be Coach Napier as the next head coach. But uh, just something I said earlier this morning is: look at all the top assistants or uh, coordinators across the country. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of good ones. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, and and some that may be looking for a head coaching job. Hey, look at Kirby Smart or, or uh, Riley or Randa. Uh, uh, Jimbo, they were all yep. assistants or coordinators, you know, when they were offered a head coaching job. So, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Scott Wood has a list of uh, coaches that possibly want a head coaching job. So, and, and listen, Cristobal, and, and there's another coach nobody's talking about, and that's Whittingham of Utah. That could be a probably, probably be a good get if, if, if Wood was talking to him, so I don't know, but yeah, uh, just think outside the box. You know, sometimes uh, if we don't land the coach that we think we may get, it could be a top assistant or coordinator somewhere. And the Cajuns today—they better tackle. They better tackle. bet oh, they, be- they be- That guy, is- man, he's awesome.
1: CD. Oh no, he's All very. Tackle. He's very similar to Lindsey Scott, who wound up like tearing up the Cajuns. I think they can, they're can. they going to be able to handle Malik Willis because I think once you kind of start – and you're going to be focusing in on Malik because he's absolutely a phenomenal player. And once you kind of focus right. in on him, it's a lot like – you remember the game that LSU had against Louisville a number of years ago in the bowl game. Once they right. isolated him, that offense became right. a non-factor. Now, because I, I just don't know – I don't know necessarily a whole lot about Liberty, but I feel like everybody talks about Malik Willis if you take that away from that team, if you basically put them one hand tied behind their back, I think their offense is a non-issue.
4: Well, listen, I, I went back and watched some of Liberty's games just to kind of see how they play. And their defense is not all that. I mean, the, the Cajuns can run on them. And the thing about today is the, the defense is going to have to wrap up. Malik Willis will probably send a blitzer every once in a while. And... Lewis is going to have to play a good game. They're going to have to keep up with Liberty. Like when Liberty scores, the Cajuns have to come and score. Stay with them and probably win the game at at the end there. So, it's there it's there for the Cajuns to take. So, I really think they can do it. C D.
1: Same here, Doug. Thanks for taking my call, buddy. I any no, anytime, anytime, Doug. Anytime. Appreciate him calling in on the program. But he brought a Billy Napier, and that's kind of one what a. What a where I want to go to next in this conversation. And I'll bring this up and then we'll take a quick time out from what I've heard from people. And again, this could be coach speak, if you will, not necessarily from the coach, but from people that I've talked to and from what they've heard from other people, again, it's heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend, that kind of thing. Tell a friend, telegram, tell a wrestler It's that kind of conversation. But from what I've been told, If Billy Napier does indeed take the job, he better have a private jet because the family ain't going nowhere. So you got to think that, yes, if you have an opportunity to go coach up somewhere like the University of Florida or LSU, if that opportunity becomes available. Because I just don't think LSU is going to hire from a group of five program like the Cajuns. It just doesn't feel like that's – I think outside of Luke Fickle, that's the only guy I think they'd want to take. Because I think, and it's at the fact that there's going to be so much like outcry about hiring Billy Napier from the Cajuns, taking him and bring him to LSU. And you think the fans hate LSU now? And in terms of the Cajuns fans, trust me, you are going to have people outright like decrying this program of taking their head coach away, and they have every right to be upset about it if that if that indeed happens. But I think Billy Napier is sticking around for the long haul because he is building something very special. Even if he doesn't want to go take the Alabama job, like I was talking about earlier, I think he's building something special, and there's a very distinct chance that he wants to help bring this team to that next echelon. Whenever the conversations do come up again about expansion. because Again, to be honest, Stumble Conference is in way better shape. We've talked about it a lot here on this program the last several weeks. But now it's the time to really start proving yourself. And who's to say you could have Billy Napier be the Gary Patterson of the Cajuns and be with that program for 10, 15 years and build a dynasty that has 10, 11 win years every year. Win Sunbelt Conference titles, holds dominion over that thing, a lot like Alabama. And then you start to hear the conversation about expansion, and you make sure people know who you are. You get more notable Power Five wins, and you get more consistent winning. Because that was the thing with HUD. HUD was the guy that built this foundation and had eight and four years, but can never get past eight and four. Billy Napier sh- shattered that glass 10-2, and two, potentially 11-1 and one campaign this year. He's gotten 10 wins two straight years. Never had before. If he sticks around, I think the Big 12 and these other conferences could start taking notice and be like, hey, this team's pretty damn good. Let's go ahead and bring them over to join up with some of our other Big 12 brethren and make this a formidable group. Again, just my opinion, because who's to say that Billy Napier sticks around, makes makes a good bit of money, and eventually helps be the guy alongside Dr. Brian Maggard and brings this program up to another part of this world. And the biggest part of it is actually making it back to in terms of a power five. Being able to get that call up to the show would be massive. And I think they're a program that if they continue to roll like they have, they have every opportunity to do it. We'll take a quick time out. You're listening to Under the Dome. We're past due for a break. Thanks again to Doug. Also, shout out to T for calling in as well earlier in the program. We'll take a quick time out. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game. Ross Jackson coming on In about 12 minutes or so we'll talk some cajuns hoops for a little bit next as well because they are pretty intriguing too back after this on 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com
0: the world-famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a kid at heart. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear. With Under the Dome. With the world-famous CD on 1037 The Game. Acadiana Sports Station.
1: gonna have ross jackson on in just a few minutes here on under the dome with cd welcome back hopefully you have a great saturday morning i know it's definitely a little bit chilly so why not warm up and enjoy yourself with some great sports talk and just kind of relax and enjoy yourself and this is something i kind of thought about a few days ago when i saw the cajuns and they've been doing pretty darn good on the basketball front this weekend they're taking on the indiana hoosiers and uh, the indiana hoosiers aren't necessarily obviously that kind of high-level team like they have been in the past. But you got to wonder like how this thing is going to go for Cajun's Hoops this year. Because every year there's a certain expectation for the men's basketball program to be towards the top. This year they're 3-0 and so far, and it's been a good start to the year. Yes, you lost an exhibition to Alabama. It is what it is. Alabama's a damn good team this year. And you've, you've beaten three teams that you should be beating and beating in a good way. West Florida, Southern Miss, Xavier, three and zero. Take on a team in Indiana, and they'll be taking them on in Indiana. Like that's a really cool moment to be able to play at Indiana in Bloomington, Indiana. That's cool. You play Marshall next, and then you're gonna be at home for a really decent homestand against your typical Jackson State's UNOs and McNeese. It's expected to play those teams. But I think this is a year where everything is setting up really nicely for men's basketball to really have a big year. Kobe Julian's back from injury. He took almost all of the last season off. He showed up late in the year. You've got some young guys, including Joe Charles out of Crow. you got to keep an eye on him. Trajan Wesley. But I think, the, obviously, you've got your re- returning guys like Theo Okuba. you had Greg Williams Jr. from LCA by way of St. John's. He's coming over. He came over Duguay. This group is one of the more intriguing ones that I've seen from the Cajuns in a while. Because I think there's also just a really good solid depth in terms of outside of your starting five. And that's been something that I think that has hurt the Cajuns a lot the last couple of years. And a lot of it just has to do with the fact that once they get in the conference play, some injuries happen and players have to miss the rest of the year and then they're never really seen again. This Cajuns team is poised to be towards the top of the Sunbelt Conference. That's how I think, and I'm sure a lot of people will agree with me on that front. And I'm hopeful that we see that actually come to fruition. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it all pans out. That said, Cajuns basketball this is a big year for Bob Marlin because if you're staying healthy and you have every opportunity to make it back to the big dance for the first time since 2014 I think this is as good of a year as any to do that for the first time in almost a decade now will they? I think they have every chance to do so if they don't I think the seat warms up a little bit in my mind because you have every chance to really have a strong record heading into conference play but of course you've got to win the tournament you have to win the tournament over in florida i hope they do we'll go over to the 1037 game hotline right now get some thoughts hello you're on under the dome
3: hey CDST again hey man. t you got what's a up?
1: double dip brother what's going on? what's happening
3: well listen uh Speaking of UL basketball, um, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Cajun Dome and their security, their hospitality, because uh, I took my uncle and godfather, 75 years old, and he needs a wheelchair and everything. I took him to the game Thursday for the LSU UL girls game because his granddaughter who is a freshman in high school out in California got her first offer scholarship offer from LSU this summer. So he wanted to go and watch LSU play and so I just wanted to give a shout out to the Cajun dog man. They treated my uncle like gold.
1: Oh and I can about imagine they treated I mean from what I could tell that was a really good crowd too for women's basketball yes. and it's not often you see like 3,000 in attendance for a, and that's not, it's not a knock. It's just like women's basketball hasn't gotten this much notoriety. And the fact you've got somebody like Kim Mulkey coming over to the Gage Dumb, I guarantee you, you'll never see Will Wade and the LSU Tigers men's team come over to LSU or vice versa. Cause I mean, that, that, that bridge has done been burned, but I think there's enough respect between Gary Broadhead and Kim Mulkey to maybe make this not an every year thing. Like we're starting to see, with Jerry Glasgow and Beth Serena starting to play each other more often, and maybe LSU comes over once every couple of years. But we see it be a lot more of a friendly, competitive rivalry between these two programs. And I think in my mind, what I'm seeing from the Cajuns the last couple of years, their team that's on the come up too. I mean, these two teams are both 2-1, and one, and I feel like, if not for that second quarter, this could have been a lot more of a competitive ballgame between Mulkey and Broadhead.
3: Well, listen, uh, I'll say that LSU was a little more athletic than UL, but I think the Cajuns shot themselves in the foot way too often because they could have kept this game close and uh, make LSU really work for it. But it was a good game, and like I said, I just want to give a shout-out to the Cajun Dome and all their workers and everything, you know, for treating us right. You
1: have a good weekend, CD. All right, T, feel, All right, T. take it easy. Hopefully that call didn't put you on any probation, brother. I'll go ahead and take a quick time out on that note because we're past due for one. A little bit of a short segment here, and then we'll get on our guy, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. You're listening to Under the Dome with yours truly, the world-famous CD right here on a Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com.
0: Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp. But under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These cards are 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat. On Acadiana's Sports Station. 103.7 The Game.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com, and it's always a pleasure to bring on good friend of the program, comes on with me. Somehow, someway, he agrees to come on every Saturday morning, 1130 a.m. And that's our guy, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. Ross, how you doing, brother?
2: Hey brother, doing very well, man. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Just appreciate you having me back, man. Hope you're doing good.
1: I'm doing good, man. Doing good. All things considered, with the LSU Tigers being in a state of just what the hell is going on, and the New Orleans Saints <laughs> kind of the same way. It's like you have everything. Like this team can't kick extra points, and it feels like like we just we we've we a lot of bad luck from obviously kicking. And then now Alvin Kamara out for a second straight game. It just feels like all the odds are against this team. Like losing one of your most like your key guy on the offensive side of the football, it's gonna be a tough go tomorrow against Philly, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I sort of you know for for folks that know, I, I have kind of referred to the state of the New Orleans Saints as being uh, the the South Park uh, Butters character, general disarray. Yes, That's sort of where this team is right now. And really just sort of, to an extent, sports throughout Louisiana in a way. And so it's been interesting to sort of watch the full community come together. You got a really nice win from the Pelicans last night. But for the Saints to be able to sort of match that energy and find a way to get this win against Philly tomorrow, they're going to need a lot of things to go right. Like you mentioned, it's not going to be an easy walk-in and get a victory type of a game here going up against the Eagles at at
1: home. And you say general disarray. I think that the New Orleans Saint I mean, the NFL at large this year has been, you know, Professor Chaos, and right. you've got the <laughs> New Orleans Saints as Dougie and General Disarray. So like it's it's definitely been and it's been a wild season just overall where there's no true like elite team. At one point you could say the Arizona Cardinals, but injuries have kind of hindered their progress. The Cleveland mm-hmm. Browns look to be a team that was in control of their own destiny. Andrews have impeded them a lot. It just feels like just complete chaos league wide. Are you in agreement with that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's been and, – and, you know, to, to an extent, that chaos has sort of worked in the Saints' favor, right? I mean, particularly around the NFC, you've got three teams that are sort of up at the top of the conference. You mentioned the Arizona Cardinals, and then, of course, you have the Green Bay Packers that are up there. But, you know, when it comes down to it, you, you look at these teams and the the way that the playoff race is sort of tightened up near the near the bottom and, and below sort of those two or three teams up at the top it's keeping the Saints alive. It's kept them in a position to where even though they've dropped two games in a row, they haven't moved from their seating at all in the NFC because you've seen the Tampa Bay Buccaneers drop, uh, drop games. You've seen the uh, Los Angeles Rams drop games here recently and, of course, the, the Arizona Cardinals, as you mentioned. So it, it's actually also benefited the Saints. The issue is that they need to be able to get on to a, a little bit of a streak themselves in order to keep it that way. They had a little bit of a cushion being 5-2 and two at one point, but now at 5-4, and four, the margin for error is thinning.
1: The margin of error is absolutely thinning right now with this team. But you just go look back at last week, they had every chance and every right to win that game Very against cool. the Tennessee Titans. And obviously everybody's looking back at the roughing the passer penalty towards the end of the first half that negated – what looked to be the momentum shifting play of Marcus Williams getting that big pick in the end zone in the final moments of the first half, and I'm start I, am not going to bash the officials like a lot of other people are, mind you. I'll just say I don't like Jerome Boger to begin with. He's probably <laughs> one of my least favorite officials in the NFL. I know people want to hate on Rob Vinovich, but I feel like you know Jerome Boger might be the guy that's caused the most like headaches and probably acid <laughs> reflux amongst the Saints fan base over the course of several years
2: yeah no absolutely you're absolutely right I mean we've seen him uh sort of popping up at the most pivotal sorts of moments but you know I'm with you like I'm willing to point out that the rough in the passer call was a bad call don't get me wrong but the New Orleans Saints still very much had control of their own destiny throughout this game and you know sworn back at the end of the game to take advantage of, of the opportunity when the defense started to soften to help to protect the the lead for the Titans and just weren't able to do enough. I mean, you missed two extra points. You make both of those extra points, you're kicking to win the game with your, or to take the lead with your uh, final extra point as opposed to having to go for two to hopefully tie the game and then you have the false start penalty. So for the Saints, I mean, look, it's been a lot of things that you just kind of need to go right for you. I mean, with these extra points, you either make them or you don't. You have to get to the points where you're making them. And so now they've gone to somebody in in Brett Mayer who – you know, is pretty consistent when it comes to making the extra points, but he's not very consistent in the field goal portion of the game. So I don't know how much you actually benefit uh, from that change from Brian Johnson, but we know that the the patience is very thin when it comes to uh, kickers now, 15 kickers in Sean Payton's 16 seasons with the new Orleans saints that will, you know, start games for this team. And so, you look at situations like that, you look at the inability to you know, convert turnovers, balls that have gotten on the ground over the course of the last two weeks, the Saints have not been able to get on top of, including one of their own fumbles at the beginning of the first half, or excuse me, at the beginning of the second half of Deontay Harris. It, it, it's been one of those things where you can look and you can see not winning the turnover differential, not, looking, not winning the uh, time of possession, those are those are battles that are detrimental in uh, football games and certainly ones that the Saints and Sean Payton tend to emphasize winning.
1: Do you think there should be, a, uh, that roughing the passer should be a reviewable play? Because I'm starting to think that that's one of those that should be added in the conversation of reviewable plays. I like how a few years ago we were talking about possibly trying to review pass interference. Or is this going to be a bridge too far in these conversations about what's reviewable, what's not? Because then eventually there just needs to be a clear line drawn of what can and can't be reviewed.
2: Yeah, I think that there has to be some type of a, of a review. That it, the, the unfortunate thing is that at some point there's still subjectivity in terms of when plays should be reviewed versus when they shouldn't. You know, if you get a roughing the passer call on a first and ten on an incomplete pass from your own twenty five after a touchback, is that the same level of reviewable as an interception in the end zone getting wiped away because of a roughing the passer call or you know, a third down being converted because of a roughing the passer call, or does the third down conversion, does that end up falling in between somewhere to where it becomes more more subjective? And then, are you reviewing every scoring play for potential penalties that could take that play away, or turnovers that could take that turnover away? That's the part that that becomes very interesting. I think you really should only be in a situation to you to, in which you can review penalties that have been called as opposed to whether or not a penalty should have been called, because then you can basically find a penalty on any play if you want to. But I think that might be one of the places to draw the line. But, of course, there's so many nuances to the conversation about when that should be eligible, what the game situation is, and, of course, where you are in terms of clock, down, distance, all those other factors that you have to factor in as well.
1: Talk right now, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles and you look at the offense again. You're without Alvin Kamara. You're without Michael Thomas, and it's basically Trevor Simeon and, to a certain extent, a land of misfit toys. What can you say about what this team can do offensively that could give a Eagles defense that just doesn't feel like a true power fits?
2: Yeah, I mean, look. It, this is a team. This is now a, a team that has to walk in with no, you know, without Alvin Kamara and without their starting. Uh, tackles, so it's going to be weird when I say this, but they have to run the ball. Um, you know, the the Eagles' defense, in terms of run defense, or the Eagles' defense has sort of changed in terms of its its identity over the course of this season. They they used to be a very weak passing defense and a much stronger run defense. Now they're a moderately good passing defense and a weak rush defense. And so I think you have to run the ball. The Denver Broncos last week averaged over five yards per carry with Melvin Ingram as well as Javante Williams, but unfortunately got into a hole after a defensive penalty and giving up some early scores in which you know, they, they had to abandon the run game and had to throw the football. So the Saints have to establish early that they can still run the football and keep the Philadelphia Eagles from doing what they did last week against Denver, which has run 40 times and average over five yards per carry. And so I think that for, for New Orleans, that's a big part of it. And the other thing that this offense can do that is going to be interesting to see how they take advantage of, is, is attack the middle of the field in the passing game. The, the Eagles linebackers tend to not get enough depth in coverage. They tend to play a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage as opposed to dropping back and taking away some of those deeper sort of over or crossing routes, So you know, 10 yards down the field or so. And Trevor Simeon, on average, is targeting about 10 yards down the field. So those two things correlate. Pretty well in terms of the Saints' ability to pass, as long as they can hold up on the offensive line and keep the pressure from getting there. Particularly a guy like Josh Sweat. You know, if Derek Barnett were to turn it on before this game, it wouldn't be a surprise. And so I think that that's sort of the two places where the Saints should be able to attack. But it's going to come down to whether or not that offensive line is going to be able to hold up without some star star players there.
1: And you know, just looking at the way this team's defense, this defense has been elite all year long and kind of has helped save the day in some contests, but looking at what's going to be going down tomorrow, how is this team going to want to probably be able to stop a guy like Jalen Hurts, who has that ability to just tear you up in a lot of different ways?
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Dennis Allen approaches this matchup, because I don't imagine that you're going to see a very heavy pass rush on Jalen Hurts, because then if you don't get home and you over-pursue, then you're opening up running lanes for the young quarterback. So the thing that will be interesting to see is how much do they focus on contain versus focusing on putting pressure on him. I mean, do they go with the situation to where they're rushing for dropping seven, taking away uh, the passing game, while also making sure that they're protecting those edges so he doesn't have the opportunity to scramble and get outside. A lot of what Philly does well is when – Jalen Hurts scrambles. Not only can he run, but these receivers, um, you know, uh, Devonta Smith and and Quez Watkins, and then now the newly re-signed Dallas Goddard, the young tight end there, they all do a very good job of improvising as receivers and working their way open for their quarterback. And so I think that that becomes the thing that will be very interesting to see the Saints find a way to take away if they can. That, That has to be priority. Probably number one B behind, of course, just taking away the running game as a whole.
1: Talk right now. Ross Jackson locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. And something else I kind of thought about just a little while ago was we talked about the, the fact that the New Orleans Saints have just had such bad luck with kickers, especially this season with the fact that Will Lutz is out for the entire season. And obviously, this year was a year where they kind of revamped everything, they remodeled and did some renovations. And one of those was the Ring of Honor. And mm-hmm. everybody's been talking about it. The misspelling of Morton Anderson. Do you think that basically has kind of cursed the kicking the second they unveiled that and showed the new <laughs> Ring of Honor and things were misspelled for the Great Dane? I, I hadn't thought about
2: that, but all I can say is yes, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess the only argument that you can make is that Will Ups was dealing with his injury before you know the uh, before they got in there, but it, you know, I, yes. That's all I can say is yes, I think you've nailed it.
1: <laughs> I think we finally cracked the code, and mind you, again, that's just the fact that I'm always the guy that looks to the sky for the black helicopters, and that was something that made me, they made me put on the tinfoil hat for a hot minute because, again, it's not like, oh, hey, they actually make sure these are correct. It's a digital board, and sometimes somebody will put in the wrong thing, and misspelling Morton Anderson might have very well have been. the. Th- and you saw him out there. I, I think I saw a quote from him. Who knows if it was true or not? It was from social media, so God knows. Sure. But yeah. do you think he actually was considering maybe coming out of retirement to kick maybe some extra points? <laughs>
2: I had heard something about him saying that he could that he could come back and kick extra points. Uh, and, and and while I think that's fun, no, I don't think he was actually considering at any point coming out of retirement to come in and kick extra points for for any team. Uh, or or any organization at all. Uh, But yes, no, it it is a lot of fun uh, when those types of moments happen, but I agree, no, he, he was not truly considering doing this
1: at all. If anything, you go try and get John Carney, right? If if you want to try and get somebody, you go John to be the-
2: Carney, you go Garrett Hartley. You know, you, you go to those guys maybe, but I, I don't know that you go to, to Morton Anderson and have him pull up to you know kick a couple extra points. He's the uh, last. He, okay. He's
1: the last resort guy, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, he might be beyond last resort. Like, no offense to him, but I, I don't think that you 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 go that route at all if you're uh, you know in desperate need of kicking. I think maybe you can go as far as to you know find. You know, I, I I don't know. I would go and maybe talk to you know the the actor that played the the young kicker in uh, Longest Yard, Adam Sandler's yes. version. Before I would go and you know call up Morton Anderson.
1: <laughs> and one more before I let you go, because this time next week we'll be coming off of a Buffalo Bills Thursday Night Football Thanksgiving Night extravaganza. And they're going to be honoring Drew Brees, who's also doing the color commentary for the contest alongside Mike Tirico, possibly a glimpse into the future of Sunday night football. But how cool is that? They're going to honor him on Thursday night during halftime of the Thursday night game. He's also doing color commentary on. It feels like everything was was planned out ahead of time on that end.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think they did a great job with that, and I think that that's that's awesome. Uh, you know, the holiday games have become a staple for the the city of New Orleans, and so having these Thanksgiving games, Christmas games, Halloween games, it, it's been really great uh, for the city and for uh, you know just the reputation of the New Orleans Saints as well over the course of the last few seasons. And so I think you know getting that opportunity to be able to do that in a national spotlight, on a national spotlight, having Drew Brees call that game at home in New Orleans is 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 really really cool. And so I really love the fact that they took the opportunity to do that. And, and also, you know, on top of that, like we can't forget that Mike Tirico, of course, has a longstanding history within New Orleans as being, you know, touchdown New Orleans. I mean, he's the guy that made the call after the, uh, the, the, the punt block and the return to the Dome after Hurricane Katrina. So it's really kind of the other part of it is mixing and getting the two of those together, the New Orleans Saints, legends, and then someone that lives in New Orleans, St. lore in his own way, and getting the both of them together to do that on this specific night is is, is a really, really outstanding opportunity.
1: Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy your Thanksgiving, brother.
2: You as well, but I'll talk to you here soon. Stay safe, right?
1: I definitely will, Ross Jackson, everybody. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ross Jackson. Nola, If you're not already, what the hell are you doing? As a Saints fan, you should be ashamed of yourself for not following Ross Jackson on Twitter, Definitely follow him over me, I would say that much. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll come back, and we'll wrap the show. One final take, and it revolves around the Astros. we talk some basketball. we talk some football, tons of football. I want to get some baseball next before we wrap the show. Back after this on 103.7 The Game, on 103.7thegame.com.
0: Research suggests that sports talk stations need to target millennials more. So here goes. Did you know that 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station, is the most lit sports talk station and that our local hosts are on fleek? (laughs) Look, we may not know how to properly use a hashtag. It is still a pound sign to us. But we do know about sports talk. Whether young or old, 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station is your home for great sports talk. just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game. The famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out.
1: A few days ago, the Houston Astros did something I didn't expect them to do, and that was actually offer Justin Verlander a good sum of money to come back for one more season. Now, how much longer he stays in the league is a different conversation, but getting this opportunity is huge. It bolsters your bullpen. It's great. And as an Astros fan, I love it. But there's something, it's great, but now the Astros have to do something else. That's sign one man by the name of Carlos Correa. Resign him. Do that next, please. Like, do what you can. Get rid of whatever dead money you have and and figure out, uh, Like, call up Mickey Loomis and try and figure out how to Loomisnomics your way and keep the man himself that is your boy, Carlos Correa. Because if you have Carlos Correa back, it is an absolutely massive win for this team. Being able to keep the core four together, it feels tough. But if you're able to get Justin Verlander to come back, I think you can convince Carlos Correa to come back. Or better yet, just open up the damn paycheck. Open up the damn books and give, And as, you know, Teddy KGB said in the Rounders, pay that man his money. That's all you gotta do. That's about all I got for this show this week. We'll be back next Saturday. Before we kind of wrap up, I saw this pop up just now, and I don't know if you maybe had seen some of the college football world last night. Involved with the Houston Cougars. I just saw this from Joseph Duarte, friend of the program, and Donovan Mooton, who had a really bad took a really bad hit last night. Didn't get back up. Luckily, his extremities were working; he was moving his feet around and everything. But was carried was carted off and put on a stretcher and brought to the hospital. And according to Joseph Duarte, he has been released from the hospital and is up and walking. That is a great thing to hear. And prayers up to him and his family because he suffered. He just got taken out of the ball game very early and seeing those injuries it's a it's a bad look and i'm hoping he is going to be able to be walking on his own before long and not have any long term after effects from that that's my hope and my hope is you enjoyed the show be back with you next saturday same bat time same bat channel be back with you this time next week hopefully talking about you know teams punching their tickets to the state semifinals or the case of SDM punching their ticket to a state championship. Maybe I also ran about the fact that there's a chance LCA and Notre Dame, two teams from the Acadian area, playing in New Orleans. But again, that's just my two cents. Peace out, everybody. We got LSU football again, 8 o'clock, kickoff, 6 o'clock pregame. Till next time, talk to you later. Hey,
0: Clevis, wake up. The show oh, yeah.